up to the automotive iron. Host Lewis out there with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that, 291-6901. And you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Absolutely right. And we certainly wish you would. We always love hearing from folks out of town, out of state, and right here in Baton Rouge as well. That's it. Now's a great time. We've got a lot of time right now. You can give us a call. We don't have to give you the bum's rush right there at the end of the show. <laughs> That's it, because we're on the time schedule. And Wait, radio being what it is. That is the way radio works. Everything is time. That's right. And it's certain time you got to go to a break. And no time you got to do this. No time you got to got to go. Show's over. <laughs> <laughs> That's out. Get out of here, boy. That's it. I was listening to that B-17 crank up on oh, yeah. the intro of the show. And there's an air show in New Orleans this weekend uh-huh. out of Lakefront Airport, which if you get a chance to go out there, it's really, really great. I've been watching them fly over all weekend. Right. You see that B-17 come over and even little kids stop. And look, they're mesmerized. And, of course, the big kids are, too. Oh, definitely. But just how graceful that plane is moving slowly through the air by comparison to a jet, how slow they would move. And the, the sound. Oh, that The sound is unique. Four big, powerful engines and those four big propellers, man. It just makes a very, very – it makes a statement. That's that it does. <laughs> yeah, just I love those old warbirds. And uh, I think there's a B-29 down there. Yeah. There's a B-17. I saw a B-25, uh, Billy Mitchell, yesterday. Okay. And I think they really start flying today. So, right. Anyway, if you happen to get a chance to get down there, you can avail yourself of that. That is a wonderful thing to see. Oh, absolutely. And just part of our heritage and not really in line with cars, but kind of sort of the same thing. Well, you know, those old Got an engine engines. on it. <laughs> right. Got a motor on it, a driver. <laughs> it just goes through the air instead of down the highway. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, something you might really want to see. Of course, if you just want to take a little drive and get out of town there's the rougarou festival in Homa. okay that's up again this weekend right didn't and you say there was a halloween parade or something there uh, is a crew of boo in there you go in new orleans that runs from the marini down decatur all the way over to uh, by the cruise terminal that's mardi gras world i think they mardi call gras it. world that's exactly right and i think that's going to be coming through the french quarter about 7 30 well, it'll take them a little while to get over to the... Uh, it starts about 6.30 in the Marini, and then it comes all the way down to Cater and right. runs across in front of Jackson Square, which is where a lot of people congregate to uh-huh. see it. That's where I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that ought to be real interesting. And just a few of the things going on this weekend. Of course, big football game. Right. Just whatever you want to do, it's yeah, going to be Pretty here. much something to do all weekend. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Of course, if nothing else, you can just go to the podcast and listen to our show again. <laughs> there you go. Our past shows. Our past shows. There you go. Between the calls and stuff, we usually try to come up with a topic of different uh-huh. things that folks might be interested in hearing about or might help people out. And Where I get a lot of ideas from that are from the email that I receive. Right. And one really recurrent email that I get that's sort of troubling to me in a way because connotes people losing money right which always bothers me but i'll get the email and it'll be i replaced the fuel pump or i replaced my starter or i placed my headlight and it still doesn't work right and you could just plug in the electrical device you want because sure. it's, it's kind of same issue on each one and that's a pretty common malady particularly on more modern cars yeah. where we still tend to think analog and things are not analog any longer. They're more digital than analog. But the point I want to make is there's really never a time when you should have to replace an electrical component like that without knowing that that was the problem because they're very, very easy to test with very minimal equipment and mm-hmm. tooling. 
you have to have a digital volt meter. Right. You can't use an analog meter anymore right. because it puts out a voltage. Right. And the way it works is different from a digital meter. Right. But you can but buy you a can digital buy, yeah. volt meter for probably $10. Right. Uh, and a all cheap you, one and a good one for probably $25. You can go to the component and see if you have power and ground at the component. That's right. If you have power and ground at the component, then more than likely the component is, is, is bad. the problem. Right. But, but if you do not have power and ground at that component, there's no use going it, on. Right. Forget no. about the component right. right now. Right. Start backtracking. Now, it could be bad also. It could. Because you could theoretically have a component which is burned up and knock something else out. Well, let's just take, for example, let's take our phone call yeah, here and we'll get back phone to call. <laughs> We got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. How are you? Good morning. morning. I just voted, so I've got government on my mind. And oh, like man. To there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that's always interested me, and, and I wonder if it's deceitful or in cahoots with the car makers or what, but all of the EPA stickers that they put on the new cars, they, te- they test them with regular gasoline, mm-hmm. not the stuff we can routinely buy 10% or more ethanol. Correct. I wonder if you had any comments on that. And y'all have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. There's, David, a lot of different things they do when they're testing cars, and that's why you can never just accept those numbers that they give as what you're going to get, and even say actual mileage will vary. Uh Uh-huh. Just a little disclaimer there on For one thing, they're normally tested without the air conditioning running, which is going to increase mileage. Right. On flat ground. On flat ground with full 100% gasoline on and on and on on a closed course yeah 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 usually with a professional driver correct and so when you get out in the real world in south louisiana there are very very few months of the year where you're not going to be using your air conditioner exactly so go ahead and throw another 40 horsepower drag on the engine which is probably one or two miles per gallon in the most for the most part if you're up in the middle part of the country or even the western part of the country where it's hilly or mountainous, mm-hmm. you certainly your mileage is going to vary because if you ever try to ride a bicycle, you notice it takes a certain amount of energy to ride on flat ground. Start going uphill. It takes a lot more energy you to climb that hill. you got to push a lot harder. That's right. Energy reads gasoline because that's the source of energy on an automobile. And it's going to require a lot more fuel to go up that hill than it does to just roll down flat ground or go down the hill. Exactly. So you got to watch. I guess the ratings are useful to the extent you could use them to compare one car to another so long as all cars are tested equally. And if this one says it gets 30 and this one says it gets 20, you're not necessarily going to get 30 or 20, but you know this one's going to get more than this one. Correct. Now, whether it's going to get 33% more, who knows? Maybe, maybe not, because it's just hard to tell, but... It kind of says, okay, this one probably is going to get more mileage than this one is. But a lot, a lot, a lot of people are disappointed because they buy based on what those numbers are. And, and they, they don't get, they don't receive those numbers. One thing we get quite a bit, people will bring their car to us and says, it, it doesn't get good fuel mileage. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I have to ask is, well, do you mean it's getting less than it used to get? Or, it or has doesn't... it never gotten, well, it's never really got what they said it would get. Uh-huh. Okay, well, likely I'm not going to be able to help you with that. There's a few rudimentary tests we can run. I can check fuel trim. I can check the oxygen sensors. I can check the airflow meter. I can check a few things. But likely it's going to get pretty close to what they say or what it's getting. Right, what it's been getting. Without regard to what they said it would get. They Mm -hmm. may tell you it's going to get 20 and it may get 16. But that's just what you're going to get. You're not going to increase that significantly. And course you will see on the internet all these little gadgets and gizmos that say they're going to increase mileage 
Yeah, if you think about it, I mean, if that stuff actually worked, the manufacturers right. would be doing it because be all the government is pressing them oh, yeah. to get this done. Well, you've got teams of engineers doing absolutely nothing all day long other but than trying figuring figure out, out how to get a few tenths of a mile per gallon better on all the models because they have a law called the CAFE standard, Corporate Average Fuel Economy, and the government sets a CAFE rating. In other words, your entire fleet of cars you sell have to meet this rating. Right. So for every car that exceeds that, you've got to sell some that don't, don't meet it, and you don't make near as much money on those little cars. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get the mileage on the entire fleet up. If not, they find them on every car that they sell. So if there were a way they could get better mileage, believe me, no, they would be do doing it. it. That's right. This little $300 part you're going to buy and <laughs> stick underneath your carburetor or your throttle body is not going to do it. And these magnets you're going to put on your fuel line, these pills you're going to add to your gas, right? it's just hocus pocus. You're just <laughs> not going to get it. You know, those stories have been around as long as I can remember. Oh, yeah. I mean, back when there was carburetors, there, oh, was, yeah. there was all kind of things. Well, they and... always had the old story about this guy invented a new carburetor. And it would get 100 miles to the gallon. And all companies bought it. They hid it away so we couldn't get it. Yeah. And but, it, but this part of it got leaked out. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just got to laugh when you hear that. If you understood anything about a carburetor and the way that it works, all it does is put fuel into the motor. Right. It has nothing to do with how much fuel is consumed. That is governed by the engine. Right. And that's governed largely by physics. A certain amount of weight takes a certain amount of energy in a given efficiency engine to move down the highway at a certain speed. Correct. You cannot ever change that. doesn't matter how you put If you put it in there with a magic carburetor, a fuel injector, or an eyedropper, it's going to take the same amount of fuel to produce the same amount of energy. You just can't violate that. So anytime you hear those, no matter how believable they sound, of course, this is always the one that's been out. It comes and goes about water injection. Mm-hmm. You're going to inject water into the engine. It's going to give you you just not going to happen. <laughs> so most of the big fuel mileage savings that have come about in the last several decades have been a result of two things one is a reduction of weight the cars are much much lighter than they used to be built a lot lighter i mean the components are now aluminum that's right plastics plastics and stuff yeah the second is the aerodynamics of the car have been greatly greatly increased where they cut through the air the drag if you look at a 55 chevrolet it's got a flat front yeah flat front try to push that 70 miles an hour yeah it takes a lot more energy to push that 70 miles an hour than it does say a 2009 impala right which is sloped down in the front end that's right or you look at like a corvette where it's got the right it's kind of a wedge in the front so the air just goes around it instead of flat face right even like the forward fusions and stuff i think they they said the drag coefficient on a fusion is close to what an f-16 fighter is Mm -hmm. you know when you when you put them both in a wind tunnel they're pretty close together so those are the ways they have largely increased mileage. Now, they've made engines slightly more efficient right. with computers and so on, but the gains they've gotten with engines have been very, very small relative to the gains they've gotten with weight. reducing weight and aerodynamics. Right. And it's just because an internal combustion engine is largely going to be limited. It's a fairly inefficient design to, to begin with, with because right. a lot of the energy in the form of gasoline goes out tailpipe to form a heat. Mm-hmm. And we just haven't figured out a way yet to reclaim that. Uh, Maybe one day they will, but right now they haven't. And so the engine loses a lot of efficiency that way. And you can get more efficient with direct injection. You can get more efficient with variable cam timing and yeah, 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 yeah. But you're not going to increase 10 miles of a gallon. Right. You might get get a tenth of a mile of a gallon. And it's sort of like uh, people say, well, inflate all your tires. Well, that's great. That's probably good for about a tenth of a mile of a gallon or an underinflated tire. But you're not going to get three miles a gallon increase by inflating your tires. Right. It just, I mean, unless they're all flat. 
And that's just kind of the way fuel mileage works. So when you see those ratings on the EPA ratings, just remember that's probably not the numbers you're going to get. Those are for comparison only. Right. Not something that you can expect to get. So if they, if they say 50, you, you a little lower than Yeah, that. you could probably get somewhere around 40, 45. Good question, David. Thanks for calling, man. Take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. It winds. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters, and I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Don't! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And we're going back to our phone lines with Patrick. Good morning, Patrick. Hey, good morning. I have a question for y'all about the, I think it's, they, call it, they call it a key fob, the little yes, thing sir. you open. Yeah, okay. remote transmitter. Right. Mm-hmm. Mine stopped working, and I don't know if the making model matters or not, but uh, I thought the battery must be dead. So I went and, you know, popped open, got the battery type, mm-hmm. went put the new battery in, and still didn't work. And I just wondering. Anything else y'all can think of? What kind of car is it, Patrick? It's an 08 Kia Sedona. We have changed a few of those transmitters on those. The little fob itself will occasionally go bad like any electronic part. Chips will break in it. And the reason or I was asking... One of the solder joints usually yeah, come loose. Yeah, solder joint will go out because they tend to get bounced around a lot in your pockets and all those sorts of things. You pretty handy, Patrick? Not that handy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you could take and just kind of take it apart. A little board just kind of falls out. Get a magnifying glass and look at all the solder joints real close and see if any of them have like a little crack around, just a little tiny ring around that solder joint. And if it does, you can take a solder iron and just touch it and it'll resolder. And uh, well, my son's pretty. My son is a solder iron. He's, he's actually pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah. Well, get him to look yeah. at that and see. And you can need a magnifying glass, and you'd be amazed at how tiny a crack will make a difference. But because they get bounced around in your pocket, and see, all those things are soldered together on what they call a wave solder machine. Those boards go through a machine, and a wave of solder comes across, and it just solders all the joints at one time. And if the mixture is not exactly right temperature, exactly right mixture, there's a little bit of contamination on that particular joint. It doesn't get a good joint. So well, you'd be been, amazed. It's been seven years. I mean, you know, I mean, it's you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's lasted a pretty long time. But my question is, when I bought the battery, I had to buy a two pack. Should I change one of my wife or should I leave it alone? Well, they go bad occasionally. I mean, if, it's, if it hadn't been changed before, I'd probably go ahead and replace it. Now, i tell you one kind of an easy way you can test those things to a degree. If you got, Do you still have an AM radio anywhere around, a little portable AM radio? Yeah, sure. Take that remote transmitter, put it right next to that little AM radio, and when you push the button, you ought to hear a little bit of static because it's transmitting on a frequency that's close. If you don't hear any static coming out of it, it's probably the transmitter's bad. If you hear some static coming out of it, then you may have something else wrong. Okay. All, All right. right. Well, I'll, I'll check and see if, uh, if I see anything that needs to be soldered. Okay, man. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 
All 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we always absolutely love hearing from you and answering your questions and talking with you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about testing electrical devices and so right. on as, as that, and really not so much electronic as electrical. And we hit on the fact that you can test and make sure you've got power and ground at, at the circuit. At the component. Now, the way you've got to do that is a little bit specialized today because most of these circuits have little plug-in connectors, and those are very, very fragile. Yes, they are. If you stick those probes off of that voltmeter into the front of that socket, you're probably going to ruin the socket. Right. You're going to expand the female Contacts. part of it. You're going to expand it out, and therefore, if it should happen to get plugged onto a, a good component, then you may not make contact right. in that if joint anymore. If it's loose, it, it's not going to work, and if it arcs, it's going to burn the component up, and there's a proper way to do that, which we'll talk about that in just a second. Let's go back to our phone. I've got Paul online. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Lewis. I have an 86 Nissan 300 that has the electric shocks on uh-huh. it. Right. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that the on the selector switch, that the lights are flashing on it, and whatever one it's on, the lights don't flash, mm-hmm. and the other two lights do flash. Mm-hmm. You know what might be causing that? Yeah, that light acts sort of like a check engine light for that system. It's got a malfunction in the system somewhere, and you'd have to have a tool called a consult, Nissan consult, and they made a consult, and they made a consult two, and now they're using a consult three. But you'd have to have that to plug into the body control module to retrieve the code, and then you'd know what area to start looking it's not going to tell you what's wrong but it'll tell you if it's a circuit fault on shock one or circuit fault on shock two or circuit fault wherever it might be then you know how to go you have to go and do some pen tests and see if it's actually the shock or the wire or whatever it might be but it's got some type of a malfunction in the system something that it doesn't like and there's a sensor inside that shock and it counts the number of bounces that it does over a certain period of time if that gets excessive that's one thing that can make it do that Okay. Obviously, if a rodent or something gets in there and chews the wire, that's another thing it'll do it. If a connection gets bad, I mean, on and on and on and on, if the sensor itself goes bad, there's there's okay. probably a couple of hundred things it could be. So you're going to have to have someone go in with a consult, check the code. At least that'll tell you the area to start looking. And then you can go in and pen test and isolate down to the actual component or components that are involved. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. All right, I'll, I'll see about getting that done. Sounds great. Thanks, man. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, going straight back to our phone line. We've got Myron on the line. Good morning, Myron. Yes, Lewis. Mm-hmm. I have a 2005 Ford F-150. Okay. And I have 140,000 miles on it, and I need to get to a tune-up, okay? okay. Mm-hmm. And I was told it could possibly cost up as much as $1,000. Well, it costs Depends. way more than that, depending on what happens. Right. If you've never changed a spark plug, it's a 5.43 valve engine. Yes, sir. Yeah, see, the problem with that engine, Myron, is that they put a two-piece spark plug in it. and Totally redesigned plug than you've ever seen in any other engine. Yeah, what happens when you go to take it out, when you put a wrench on you turn it, the top part with the threads can come out and leave the bottom part down inside the motor. With the electrode and the ceramic actually sticking down in the cylinder. Now, when that happens, sometimes they can be extracted. There's a whole series of different special tools that you can go and extract them sometimes, most of the time occasionally you can't extract the plug, in which case the engine has to come out the truck, the heads have to come off the motor, which means time and change and everything else off, and has to be knocked out from the other side. So Now, you can back up because a lot of times you got to take the cab off the chassis to access the heads right. to get them off the well, engine. Well, you, you either pull the engine out of the truck or you take the cab off, right. the, off the truck. So the other, there's but, a lot of labor there. Yeah, so it could potentially be extremely expensive. Now, it doesn't happen every time, but it does happen a lot of times, and the problem is this. 
once you go in, you're committed. Right. There's no backing up. In other you can't say, well, just try it and see. In other words, when you put a wrench on it and turn that plug and the top snaps off and comes out, they're not going to know, and there's no way they can put it back in. So you are committed at that point. So you so, need worst-case scenario right. when you go in. Yeah, worst-case scenario is, like I said, the, either the cab off the truck and the head's off. And if that's the case with that many miles, you're probably going to be into putting time and change and everything else. So, I mean, you could potentially run up two or $3,000 real fast. Generally doesn't go there, but it very well can, particularly if you've gone 140,000 miles in original plugs. And if you don't change them, it's going to start burning the calls up if it hadn't done it already. The call pack? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. Okay, so you think it'd be better to go to a Ford dealership to have this done? or I wouldn't. A mom and pop place? I'd go somewhere who's done that job a whole lot of times. And, and let them do it. We've had very good luck doing them. Somebody who's got I, experience in If doing you were it. one of my regular couples, I would have recommended you change those plugs the first time around 50,000 miles. And at that point, oh, really? very yeah, likely yeah. they would have all come out. But the uh, longer they stay in there, the worse it's going to get. Yeah, the, because car, the car carbon starts to build up on them and you right. can't get them out. Uh-huh. But we've okay. got several tricks we use. We're pretty good at getting them out. i got to say, out of 100 trucks, probably 50, we just get them all out. Out of that other 50, probably 40 of those were able to extract them, and maybe 10, you have to end up pulling the heads on the engine. Now, the plug that goes back in it is a redesigned plug. The old one was actually spun welded. They spun the two pieces right. together until they uh-huh. melted together. The new one is actually welded together with a machine. And even those, and, we've seen some of them have trouble and break yeah. the second time around. So I would not be pushing plugs on that engine more than about 50,000 miles. I know Ford says you can go 100, but I would never push those plugs more than about 50,000 miles. Okay. All righty. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, Myron. Uh-huh. All right. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number, and I didn't tell Myron, but if you go to my website and just type in Ford Spark Plug, uh-huh. it'll bring up an article with pictures and all that. So, Myron, if you're still listening, pop on my website, agcoauto.com, and just type in Ford Plug Ford Plug in the, search, in the bar. search bar. It'll bring up a big old article with pictures and everything else, and really explains that problem a whole, whole lot more. And we got Tommy's been patiently holding. Good morning, Tommy. Hi, my son has worked his way through college, uh, going to graduate in December, mm-hmm. and he's maintained 2006 Tacoma that I own, but he's maintained it real well, okay. pays the insurance, done everything, starving mm-hmm. college students. There you go. He had a blowout about two months ago mm-hmm. on the interstate, had the tire changed, and the low tire indicator now is flashing. Uh-huh. Okay. And he's been told by the guy that put on the tire, he had four new tires about a year ago, and mm-hmm. so the guy put a new tire on. He said, look, you know, this is something the Toyota people have to do. Well, so they told him about $250, but they weren't sure whether they knew which one it was. That's ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, but we've got a tool at Agco that we use. You, you can walk around the vehicle and, and ping each one of the sensors, and it yeah. gives you information on it. It gives you the battery life left in it. It gives you the temperature that the, the inside of the tire is. And it also tells you if the sensor is working. Yeah. So you just walk around. It takes about two minutes to walk around a vehicle and figure out which one's not working. Yeah, that's not real rocket science to figure that and, out. And now, being that he had a blowout, the sensor yeah. probably got destroyed at Might that time. Might have damaged, yeah, in, right. the, in the blowout. Now, now one thing yeah, that with the age of the vehicle, I mean, if one is bad, it's also possible that the batteries are going bad in all of them because they do have a life, generally a life of about eight to ten years on those sensors. So they may be right. reluctant to change one for that reason. But, again, if he's a starving student, I think I'd go with the one sensor. <laughs> yeah. Or just check right. the air manually. Well, 
does the dealership have to reset? No, absolutely not. No, no. any decent, well-equipped automotive shop. I mean, we've got every tool that a Toyota dealership has. We keep all the Toyota scan tools okay. and all that, and same as almost any what, good independent what should shop. He look, what should he look for that job to cost him? Well, depends on what's wrong with it. Depends on what's wrong with it. If it's one sensor, I want to say the sensor is about sixty, seventy dollars, and mm. it's probably about a half hour labor to put it in, and reprogram it. Right. So whatever that adds up to. In the yeah. Shop he's in. Okay. Well, I sure I'm glad I called. I've heard of y'all talk about them before, mm-hmm. but now, he's gotten some bad information. Well, you know, that's easy. Tommy, to get. that's one of those systems that's sort of kind of nice to have, but. If he's a starving student, his money's really tight. I mean, he can just check his tires manually like we did for the last 75 years. You know? Right, right. Well, the, That won't fail inspection. Right, that's right. And, but when he had his blowout, mm-hmm. he noticed that the tire pressure was going low mm-hmm. before, and he was in the left lane, right. and he got over to the right lane because he was observing mm-hmm. the low tire pressure. Right. Well, right. Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great it's system a good, when it's a good it works. feature, nice to have. I'm just saying if right. money is really tight for him, it's not something he has to fix. Right. Okay, but I'd rather him if it's yeah. reasonable and he knows what's going on. I'd rather I'll pay for it myself. That's right. There you go. That's right. As yeah. opposed to him, but he doesn't want that flashing light on. Yes, sir. Well, like I said, okay. they should have no problem identifying the sensor. My only concern would be with a vehicle that age. The other sensors are probably getting pretty close anyway. Of yeah. course. Now, one other thing you might consider: I don't know how much tire life you've got left on your tires. Are they fairly new or they're fairly yeah, they're, old? They're pretty- I think they're pretty good. Yeah, I was going to say, because if the tires are getting old, you could wait until you need tires. It's a lot less labor because you don't have to break tire down when you have it off right. already. What right. a lot of people do is come in and we change the sensors when we change their tires because it's right. a reduced labor charge then. Yeah. Okay, well, he's got new tires, and we didn't think about that before. There you go. Yeah, yeah well, you can just fine. do the one that's bad. I mean, yeah. he just has to realize if it comes back on again, he's into another one, but, you know. Right. Maybe. Yeah, you got one light just kind of the whole with, system. Right. So if one sensor goes bad, you fix it, the light comes back on, then you may have another sensor going out. It turns right. the same light just kind of roll, so. rolling the dice. Right. Right. Okay, well, he'll, he'll see you Monday or Tuesday. All right, All right, man, so thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, 291-6901 is the number. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Lewis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. And we sure wish you'd give us a call. It's 291-6901. We still got to help you out and point you in the right direction. Still got plenty of time plenty, to answer plenty questions time. and Roughly thoroughly. Half the show. <laughs> about halfway through. And we were talking just a bit about testing electrical circuits and stuff. And two things, you've already mentioned one, that is that you need a digital voltometer Correct. as opposed to the old analog. And I'm not sure you even could find 
analog voltmeter anymore. I, I'm not, I don't know. I hadn't, honestly, I hadn't looked for one. They've just about <laughs> gone away. I needed one a while back to test a flash code on some type of older vehicle. And I had a devil of a time finding one. That was five, six years ago. I think I got one thrown up in the top of yeah, a cabinet at, if, at the shop. If you got one of those old multimeters with a digital, or excuse me, an analog oh. type, you don't want to use that. You want a digital type and you don't want to use a test light in many cases mm-hmm. sometimes you're going to get by okay with that but other times you may get in trouble it's best just to go ahead and bite the bullet spend about 10 20 and get a digital volt on me right i mean if you want to really really jam up one you can get a fluke and you can probably spend oh you could spend upwards you could well, you spend, spend upwards of five, five, yeah five six hundred dollars if you wanted to that's a total multimeter with all sorts of functions on they, it. they make a special one for automotive use and mm-hmm. it runs 540 something right. like that so I mean, you can get a fluke as cheap as a hundred dollars, right? That's but right. But it's not going to have all the features. Well, it would that have you probably would have. everything and and more that the average do-it-yourselfer sure. is ever going to need. Sure. But when you buy that meter, what you want to do is look for a set of what they call little terminals with little small pin type, a wire, uh, little wire tips, and those will slip right over the big tips that come with the machine or the the tool. And it's just a little tiny, almost like a needle that pokes off the end. Mm-hmm. And what you do with that is a technique called back probing. Correct. And what back probing is, when you want to check a circuit, let's say we're checking a set of headlights and we want to see why they're not working. Uh-huh. Where the wire goes into the connector, if you stick... On the back side. On the back side. If you stick it in right there, you're going to see, well, even not the installation, just reach down, you'll see a little piece of copper in there, and if you touch that little piece of copper... Some, sometimes you can get into the back of them like mm-hmm. that. Some of them are sealed. I did right. one the other day, a headlight socket that mm-hmm. was sealed up. You right. couldn't get to the back of it. And if that's Some of the them case, have a weather pack in them. If that's the case, and you have to front touch it, you don't want to probe it. In other words, you don't want to spread those terminals. Just touch the Correct. terminal very Correct. lightly. Do not push it into the slot where the little pin off the device goes it's best to back probe it that way you can check the circuit under a load that is correct because if you check let's just say you check a circuit and it shows 12 volts mm-hmm. okay so you got power and ground at your circuit but you plug the load in and now it doesn't goes work away what happened right what you've done is you've checked just the continuity just of the that wire well a little single strand can if, carry 12 volts if one strand will carry the full it will carry it until you will not load it's it will not, not carry that load not enough amperage can go through it to operate the device and that requires another kind of test called a voltage drop testing which is a little more complicated go to my website type in voltage drop and it'll explain that type of testing that gives you a lot more information where you can physically test under load to see well, if the circuit will transmit enough current. right you can do that with a back probe Right. You can back probe that connector with it plugged into the load and see if you have power and ground now. Right. And, and if you have power and ground now, then you need to start backing up the circuit. What correct. I like to do is go to the fuse because that's usually the easiest well, component to get what to. You, what you always want to do is start on one end of the circuit, whichever end it is. And if you do not have power there, go to the other end of the circuit. That way, what you've done is you say, okay, you can get one of two answers when you do that. If you have no power at the other end of the circuit, you know the problem's not in that circuit. It's Correct. upstream. So you keep going back. If you've back. got power there and not at the end, now you go halfway. Right, which is usually a relay or something to right. that nature. Now, if you have power there, you know the circuit problem is between the relay and the load. If you do not, then you know the problem is between the relay and and the source. So you start cutting the circuits in half. Half, 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 half. Half, half it until you find if out If you've got a half on. mile of wire, you can cut it down pretty fast if you keep going half, 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 half. That's right. As opposed to just jump around and trying to guess where you're going with it. So it's more of a methodical type of right. approach. 
and we're going back to our phone lines and shot. Yes, hello. Okay, go ahead. Hey, uh, I've got a 99 Chevy K1500 Z71 package. Okay. What my issue is, my ABS light has come on. Mm-hmm, okay. uh, I, had it, I slammed on my brakes real hard one time, mm-hmm. and it came on, it went off. Okay. Slammed them on again, and now it's come on, and I had, about six months ago, I had replaced one of the brake calipers. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've also replaced my master cylinder. Well, you and, stop right there, Shot, because you can replace every brake component on, and it's not going to affect that light at all. The ABS system is an electrical system. has absolutely okay. nothing to do with the regular brakes. Right. It's an add-on right. electrical so system So you can change brakes. brake pads and mouse cylinders and wheel cylinders and calipers forever, and it ain't never going to fix that problem. Okay? Well, the reason why because I changed the brake, the reason I changed the, the master cylinder mm-hmm. The, the brake pedal went all the way Right, right. And, and I'm not saying it didn't need all out. that, but just that is not going to have anything to do with right. the ABS system. Right. To fix okay. the ABS system, what you have to have is a tool called a Tech, Tech 2, 2 right. and, or equivalent, and you're going to have to go into the control module because that's where those codes are stored. Now, a code reader cannot get in there, and it's not going to read that. It's going to be in the okay. chassis module. Right, it's going to be in the chassis module. Probably in the chassis module. When you go to the chassis module, there are going to be some codes stored. Now, those codes will not tell you what is wrong. They will tell okay. you what circuit the problem exists on. For instance, it may say left wheel speed sensor. Right. Okay, that doesn't mean the sensor's bad. That doesn't just mean means wheel something bad. in that circuit is bad. So what you have to do is go in and pin test. Next thing you do is put an AC voltmeter onto the sensor, spin the wheel, and see if you've got an AC current coming out of it. If you don't, okay. then the sensor's bad. If you do, then you have to move upstream could be a connector could be the sensor could be the wiring in between could it be may be none of that at all it right. could be the module itself it could be on and on and on and on there are probably right. about 200 components and without some type of a approach like that where you've got information that you're going with you're going to spend an inordinate amount of money trying to fix that problem thousands right. of dollars yeah and not ever hit the problem so what it would probably be a lot less expensive for you to do is just bring it to someone who's equipped and trained to do it. Let them tell you what's wrong, even if you want to fix it yourself. Just have them diagnose the problem. Then if you okay. want to change the part yourself, that's fine. But now, you, you're going to pay somebody between probably 20 and $100 somewhere to diagnose the system. That's going to be cheaper than any one component that you can change hoping to fix it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, my other question was, Will it pass in motor vehicle inspection? It will. In Louisiana, it will. Yes. Because will ABS is not yeah, ABS is not a mandatory system in Louisiana. Only thing that's mandatory is the check engine light. In other words, that indicates an emissions control fault, and the EPA mandates that. But right. you're not mandated to have ABS. You're not mandated to have airbags. You're not mandated to have tire pressure monitoring. None of those lights would fail you. Okay, well, good deal. I, uh, I won't have to rush to try to get that. No, no, and <laughs> it's not going to affect your regular brakes. You're still going to have full regular brakes. Just like you, you always You're do. just not going to have any lock function. Right, I've, I've noticed that. Mm-hmm. It, it's just kind of the older style braking. Instead. Right, that's right. If you happen to get in a patch of mud and hit the brakes, the wheels will lock up and that sort of stuff. Whereas with the ABS, it'll pulse them for you and try to keep them from locking up. So it's a nice feature to have, but it's not going to affect your regular brakes. Wonderful. I appreciate y'all's help. All right, man. All right, Thanks a lot. Right. Bye-bye. Have a good weekend. Bye. Thank you. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. We were talking about testing electrical circuits and back probing, and if you have to front probe, you just want to touch that right. little brass terminal. You Don't, do not want to open that terminal up. I have seen so many people come in with an electrical problem, and the socket has been destroyed because someone stuck something into it and spread those little terminals. Right. 
and not only something like a light socket, but a sensor socket. Sure. Happens it, all the time. We have to change the pigtail and, because it's not making good enough contact. Right. And if you happen to back probe with a little piercing needle that pierces the insulation, mm-hmm. when you're done, take some nail polish or some RTV or something right. and, and coat reseal that, that. Reseal that joint. You don't want air and moisture getting well, into those wires. moisture gets into that copper, it's going to start forming copper oxide, which it's is that make green a slime, and it's going to travel right up the wire, and next thing you know, you're going to be getting light on. We see that with battery cable ends all the time. All the time. Um, the corrosion starts in the cable head, and it wicks its way to the cable, and then it starts wicking its way through the, the copper insulation down into the cable itself. And sometimes I've cut six and eight inches off of a cable, just well, to right. get to the good part. We'll get people come in often, and the car doesn't start, and they determine the battery is bad. And along with being bad, it was also leaking. Correct. And they put a new battery in, but they still have an intermittent no start, mm-hmm. and they can't figure it out because of the new battery. And what it is, the cable has wicked that acid up inside of it, and sort of like you were talking about before, a voltage drop test would show that, but they're getting 12 volts through the cable until that starter starts pulling 275 amps. Correct. It cannot, it cannot transmit that 275 load. amps. It might transmit 50 amps. Right, which is not enough volts, to start. Which will not turn the starter. So, and if it does, let's say it transmits 200 amps. That may crank, but it's going to crank slowly, and it's going to burn the starter up because, because it has insufficient amperage going to it. Correct. So it's going to damage the starter, damage the alternator, damage other components. And like I said, that requires a different type of testing called voltage drop testing. And that's where you're testing under load and seeing how much current. Because you have voltage, which is one thing, and you have current, which is something totally different. Correct. And you have to have an amp meter to measure that. Now, one thing we see quite often as well, folks will come in, say, with a Chevy pickup truck, and the blower on the air conditioner has quit Has quit blowing. blowing. Or cook blowing on a certain speed or something of that nature. And, and often what happens, it'll go out at one speed, and it'll keep using it on the other speeds. It'll go out at another speed, and right. it'll just quit working altogether. And if they very fastidious, they go in and they test, and they find out that the blower control relay is bad, mm-hmm. and maybe the connector's burned up. Well, they change the connector, they change the relay, and about a month later, it it's burns doing up it again. again. Right. Again, this is an example of good testing, but just inadequate testing. Right, they didn't enough. go quite far enough. Correct. Because what burnt that up in the first place is that the blower motor is drawing too many amps. Correct. The, the brushes have gone bad and the bearings have gone brushes bad. Brushes or the bushings or the bearings have gone bad. It's dragging. So it's drawing more amperage than the circuit can deal with. Can tolerate. It may be that that motor has supposed to draw maybe 10 amps on startup and four or five amps continuously right running and when you put an amp meter across it it may be pulling 30 amps at start up and pulling 15 amps consistently mm-hmm. so it's got three times as many amps as it can tolerate and those little wires are small yeah they are so it's going to burn up components and it's going to burn up connectors now if you don't go in and determine what is causing this excessive load if you just change the part that burned up right you're fixing the symptoms you're not fixing the problem right it's just going to come right back again we see that oftentimes where folks will go in and change the headlights, some of these high-intensity high intensity headlights, right. and the first thing it does, they quit working, and they go in and they find the little sockets are all melted. Well, the reason the socket melts is because this bulb is drawing too many amps. Right. They cut the wire off, put a new socket on, which is not a small amount of work, hook it all back up. And and it works for a little while. And maybe a month later, it's, it's out again. out again. And it's because you haven't decreased the load, you haven't actually diagnose the problem what you've done is treated the symptom of the problem which was the burned up connector and the connector burned up because excessive amperage is being drawn through this bulb 
Another thing that'll cause that is that the voltage gets low because of a bad connection. Low voltage requires more amperage. Correct. So it causes connections to burn up. Hey, one last quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hey, Lewis Aldazan, Magco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm into cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing. Just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan. Got our co-pilot, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call. It's 291-6901. Still got a few minutes. Be glad to try to get you a live and in-person answer. There you go. Right now is still a pretty good time. That's right. <laughs> Not quite as good as the beginning of the show, but it's still good. We still got time. We're talking about testing circuits and so on as that. Now, one thing, if you go back and kind of listen to some of our, our callers that have already called in today, at least two or three of them, the type of problem they had is not anything you will be able to test with a voltmeter because right. we're talking a digital problem. Right. That is going to require some type of a scan tool to go in and retrieve a code to know what circuit to start testing. Right. And the big misleader with that was used to go in and plug the thing in, plug the tool in, the cheap tool, and it told you a code and somebody wanted to sell you a part to fix it. Well, and that's, that's not... That's still, not the way to do it that's anymore. That's still done quite a bit. It is. Where you go to a parts store and they'll say, well, oxygen sensor's bad. No, it's not. You got an oxygen sensor code. It doesn't mean the sensor's bad. Exactly. Because a bad plug wire will cause an oxygen sensor code. A vacuum leak. A vacuum leak. We had a cause... guy come in with a timing chain stretched on a Ford. Cam guy was broken, and he had two oxygen sensor codes. Two brand new oxygen sensors on it. Well, he had still oxygen didn't sensor turn the light co- out. Right. Light's still on. Same he just code. wasted his money on two cheap junk oxygen sensors that weren't as good as the original once we put time change, we had to go back and get two motorcraft oxygen sensors. So we had to change yep. them again because the, the cheap junk was brand causing X, a problem. Yeah, weren't reading right even after he changed them. So he just created a second problem. But that type of an issue is not going to be solved with a voltmeter, just like a blood pressure testing device is a handy tool for a doctor. But it's not going to tell him, tell you if he has if you have a temperature. Right. It's just another test that it's needs to be run. One test. And it's not going to tell you if your white blood cell count is too high or if your cholesterol is too high. Exactly. Same thing with a MRI. It's a wonderful, wonderful machine. It does a number of things. But, again, it can't tell you if your blood pressure is too high. Exactly. And it may not be able to tell you or detect certain other types of maladies. There are different types of tools. You get that all the time. We'll put it on the machine. Well, yeah, There is no one machine. That, what machine would that be? Right. And there is no machine that's going to tell you what's wrong with a car. You have scan tools that will retrieve codes which will identify a circuit where the problem exists. 
Once you've identified the circuit, then you go in and pen test the individual components in that circuit to isolate which one or ones are causing the problem or if none of them are causing the problem. Right. It could be a 5-volt reference that's drugged down by something else causing a code to be set for this circuit. Well, I have seen things as obscure as a problem in a totally different circuit causing a short to ground on the computer inlet right confusing the computer and generating a code sure because it has a flawed input it starts generating a code and when that happens you can change parts all day long comes home and you're not even going to get close to that i've seen a low battery voltage cause that same problem well that's right because the computer is designed to run for a certain range of voltage mm -hmm. and it knows it respects that as this is the correct voltage even when it's not Mm -hmm. so when it's not it starts confusing it the computer and the computer starts doing all kind of crazy well, it things. Can do all sorts of things. I remember we had a guy come in once before, and someone had cut the battery terminals off, put two of those little clamp-on battery terminals. Those little temporary. Which, which I, I hate those. They're I've temporary a, for for a reason. I've They're, got a bucket full of them. Right. <laughs> and of course, the proper way to do that is with a crimp tool and crimp a new factory type end onto and then, that cable, and then put a piece of heat shrink around it to seal it to up, seal it to where it's back like it was. But he had two of those in the car voltage drop test revealed that he was dropping about two volts across the circuit Uh what was happening is he was generating a mass airflow sensor code and the mass airflow sensor had been replaced at a cost of about five hundred dollars and his original one is gone now yeah the code was still there and the reason it was because input voltage to the computer was too low right and it just so happened on this particular car it started generating problems, and the first test that it failed happened to be the mass airflow sensor code, so it generated a code for mass airflow sensor because sure. that's where it was when the voltage freaked its mind out, so it just happened to throw that code out. So you can never, ever, ever take those codes literally, and there are parts stores everywhere across our country that are going to sure. check them for free because they're hoping to sell you a whole bunch of junk and right. not fix your problem. I would always say, if you go into a parts store and they say, okay, it's this part. Okay, so tell you what, I'm going to buy that part from you. But if it does not fix my problem, I I'm, want my money back. Sure. And see what they tell you. <laughs> Just sit there and see what they tell you at that yep. point. Do you guarantee if I buy this part from you, it's it going to fix, fix this it. problem? Right. And if they say, yeah, well, fine. Go ahead and buy it. Stick it on. See what happens. But if it doesn't fix it, most pack likely, it back up and bring it back to them. Right. Here you go. Here's your part back. You, you diagnose it wrong. You want to check it again or you want me to do yeah. something else? You know? <laughs> But the thing is, that is only going to identify a circuit, and very, very often it may even identify an improper circuit. It may uh, it may set a code has nothing to do with the problem that sure, you've got. Sure. One thing that we saw, we had a gentleman come in, and he had a older General Motors product, and it had a PO420 catalytic converter below efficiency code in uh-huh. it. And he had changed the catalytic converter, and it still generated the catalytic converter code so someone told him it could be the oxygen sensors which it could have been so he changed both oxygen sensors still got a catalytic converter code in it so now at this point he's out about a thousand dollars oh yeah still has the same problem and he's done all the work himself and still can't get an inspector and still can't get an inspection sticker come to find out what it was he had an intake leak and it was leaking coolant into the intake the coolant was getting sucked into the converter which was lowering the efficiency of the converter setting a converter code correct what we were able to do is go in replace the intake manifold gaskets and 
Fortunately, it hadn't gone on too long. The converter cleaned up and passed the test after that. But if it had gone on for any length of time... He would have tore up the new converters also. would very well have taken out that brand new converter because converters are not designed to run on engine coolant. Right. They're designed to take care of the emissions that the engine's putting out. Well, the coolant, o- oxides of nitrogen is what they're designed primarily to, to incinerate. Right. Coolant, it's not going to take care of. No. Engine oil. Right. You know, Excessive an engine, engine oil. Is an the, engine that's burning oil. It's going right through those catalytic converters. It's going to take them out. That's right. And it's not going to take very long. So when before you go plank down $1,000, $1,500 on a set of catalytic converters, make Might darn sure that you got the cause of the problem diagnosed as well as the problem. An engine misfire is one of the most oh, yeah. common things that kills a catalytic converter. And if you've got an engine misfire, you could put a brand new converter on there. It's not going to be but a matter of days before sure. it destroys the new converter. And when you take it back and the parts store looks at it and it's bright blue because it's gotten <laughs> hot, they're probably going to tell you, no nah, thanks. we're done. <laughs> we're done. Yeah. <laughs> or you're done. Hey, I see the clock says we're just about out of time. Want to start winding on up and getting out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast service, and if they have a written rating, please give us one. That's right. If they got a place for a written review, go in and give us that review because that way, when someone comes in, and types in the word "auto repair," we're going to pop up pretty close to the top, and so more folks can listen and get more listeners. There you go. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.